today looking into Judaism on the Weekly Kingdom Outlook. Let's go. Well, greetings, folks. I just got back from New Mexico on Monday. So excited. What a great time. We had miracles, um, healings, so so much fun. I, um, what a great bunch of people at Glory River of Las Lunas. They were just honoring, loving, um, had a fantastic trip. And uh, Jeremy came with me. As always, uh, he's just an amazing spiritual son, does a great job. And you can watch him on Wednesday nights, and he'll probably talk about some stuff. And uh, as he goes through some Wednesday nights, he gets caught up. Um, but, you know, uh, an interesting topic came up where a guy started yelling out because he didn't like women in ministry. Now, this is not an issue I've had in the sense of uh, prohibiting women. Um, my thing was I st I've done a lot of studying. Um, and so I'm going to give you some things about Judaism, especially with the Rosh Hashanah coming out, that I want us to... Uh, kind of examine. And it's it's kind of important. This is going to be a little bit lengthy. Um, and I know that going into this. Um, but for a lot of Christians, they've really never have addressed or they don't have any knowledge of understanding of Judaism, where it came from, um, what's its history. And they think it's biblical uh, Christianity or biblical religion. It is not. And this is what you have to understand. Um, Judaism was actually created in the time period between Malachi and Matthew. Now I'm going to give you a couple great people you can study and they do, they did work. Now when it comes to women in ministry, you know, uh, Chris Valentin at Bethel church has done a great job and he's written a book called fashion to rain. Plus, if you go back on the podcast or Bethel TV, I think it's July 6th and July 20th. And then on, he goes, does a couple more of them uh, of 2014. So it goes back a ways. He's dealt with this. He's um, um, done a lot of research. He explains why he had to do a lot of study for this because he got invited to a women's ministry, uh, you know, a women's conference in Australia. And um, he was running out of things to say. He's writing the book, Fashion to Rain. And in Fashion to Rain, when he's writing the book, they had contracted for um, something like 40,000 words. And they called him up and said, we really think this book should be more like 75,000 words or something like 70 or 75,000. He said, he said, the problem was I was at 30,000 words and, and didn't have anything else to say. So it led him to 400 hours of study on this topic. And I didn't have that because, see, I didn't grow up in the church, and I didn't grow up in religion. I didn't grow up in this fear of women and authority and all this kind of stuff that um, a lot of people struggle with. Well, this guy yelled it out, and, you know, I didn't have time for it in the service. He left. The sad part was this individual was blind, and I would have loved to have prayed for him, but you know what? He's blind. He's probably hasn't gotten his breakthrough and his miracle. One, he might not be believing. Two, the religious spirit always stirs him up and has him walk out of miracle meetings because he, you know, he said to his wife on the way out, boy, he did say a lot of, a lot of good things, but 
when I said women could be in a ministry, that that religious spirit got up. So I'm going to deal with it a little bit here, but I'm also going to deal with it. We got we got a feast of trumpets coming up, not Rosh Hashanah, and I'm not a fan of Rosh Hashanah, and I'm going to explain why. Um, and I'm going to read you some stuff. I'm going to I'm going to read some things. I'm actually going to try to print up a page of it so that I can maybe tie it to this on Subsplash. So. If you want to see the write-up of someone who did a, an amazing write-up on this, then then you can see that. So uh, my sources are the Bible, um, and then my sources are also going to be other people who have done tremendous study on this topic. And you know there are those traditional you know, apologetics. They they um, they don't believe women should be in ministry. And what's so funny is they think they're they're so studious <laughs> about it that they really haven't studied. They All they do, a lot of apologists study what other commentaries say on the matter. Just so you know, um, they're not teachers necessarily. Um, so I, I, I want to just kind of deal with something now, because it's really important to understand this, that if Jesus did not have to leave the law of God to fulfill his calling. Jesus said that I've come, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to show you to fulfill it, which uh, connotates to show you how it works. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this out before you and see how it really works. Um, Jesus obviously didn't sin against the law. That would be ridiculous. And Paul states in Romans chapter 7 that uh, the law was ho- is holy. And perfect. The problem with the law wasn't with the law, but with our flesh. And that our flesh is going to struggle against the law. Because every time we are given a law, it, it, our flesh, because our flesh is sinful in nature, it's corrupt. That's why you're going to take off corruptible and put on incorruptible. The reason is your flesh is corruptible. That when a commandment comes forth, your flesh rebels against it. People don't understand this factor. And this is why you have to surrender. This is why you have to yield. This is why you have to live by the spirit and not by the flesh. Okay? All those kind of things. Um, And Paul says in uh, uh, Paul's call to, you know, when Paul's explaining his call to God, we'll just go to Galatians. I'm just going to skip around. There's a lot of verses on this. And I want you to do some studying. Because not that you should win an argument, but women need to be set free in the church. Okay, too often times women are not set free and they're they're relegated to women's ministry. And I and look at I, I know there's men, um, you know, because you know, I have a single female as assistant leader, and they'll be like, I'm not, I'm not gonna be in church. I I had a whole family leave because I allowed women to prophesy, and they were mad about it. They felt like women shouldn't speak, you know, and, and the problem was. The real truth of the issue probably was that his wife wasn't prophetic and she didn't step into it. All these other women who were going after it, I was given place to. My wife's an ordained prophet and, uh, and she could prophesy. And, and I think that for all of us, we need to really see whether or not God is really saying what is not. I'm not going to go through all of it. I suggest that book and those podcasts and... There's an article written by Nehemia Gordon, Nehemi Gordon, um, and it's called 
how Jan Taruha became Rosh Hashanah. And I'm going to read that to you um, because I never knew this part of it. Um, I put, you know, I, I knew Rosh Hashanah was not the new year. And you go, how did I? Because the Bible only gives God's names for the months in Scripture were first month, second month. That's it. God didn't give them names. All the names, Nisan, and all that stuff that you get all came out of Babylon. There are Babylonian names for those months. Okay? Actually, they try to overlap them. Okay? You have to understand when the Jews went to Babylon, they didn't come out with pure faith. They come out with a mixture. And you could see this because the, the, the Ezekiel, you can see why they got into it. Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah are all rebuking this, that they've all perverted themselves. They've all, it, it, it's so graphic in, uh, in the prophets that you, you know, you know, you, you would have to explain it to 10 year olds. They'd be like, what does that mean? You know, oh, let's talk about that when you're a little older, you know, um, it does it in terms of adultery and fornication and sleeping with other gods, you know. And so it's it's really important to understand why God was rebuking Israel. And we go, well, they were breaking the law, but they looked very religious. Yeah, but they weren't obeying the law. They were mixture. And they what they were doing is they were putting in, sec- it would be like us. And we do it in the church, by the way. We have Christmas. I love Christmas. It's a, it's a, it's a holiday. It's a secular holiday. We want to make it religious, but Jesus was really born around September. So um, he was born, I believe, on Yom Kippur. Okay. Um, Because salvation came to the earth, day of atonement. All right. Um, Now, you don't have to agree with that. He wasn't born in December. No one disputes that, by the way. No theologian. No scholar disputes Jesus wasn't born in December. And you go, why, why December? Why did they put Christmas there? Well, it was, a, it was something the Romans were trying to do was to take holidays that were culturally and maybe even demonically, and they were seizing the day. They would put a, they would put a Catholic holiday in there. And by doing that, instead of them um, going to pagan gods or everything, they would have a holiday to worship Christ. So uh, that's what they would do. And, and so people don't understand that history of it. They don't understand that, yeah, some of these days were actually pagan, but the holiday in, the, you know, in Christianity wasn't. In other words, what they were trying to do is get people, because, by the way, culture has its holidays. And if you're going to shift culture, you have to shift the holidays. So they found it, they found it easier to change that holiday than to try to tell them a whole new holiday system. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you, church. I'm just telling you the history. And so don't, don't, you know, you can have your own judgment on that. And that's fine. Like, you don't have to have an, you know, you don't have to have an opinion. You might have an opinion. That's fine. My daughter was born December 25th, um, Christmas morning for us. And you might go, oh, look, it's Christmas. Now, look, we celebrate Christmas. We love Christmas. Just like we like Halloween. Now, what was Halloween? Halloween. Now, we don't, I don't dress up. What do I mean by Halloween? Halloween was the eve of the hallowed day. November 1st in America was the day where they'd celebrate the feast harvest, the harvest, and they'd have a hallow day to give God thanks. Well, Halloween means the eve of the hallowed day, and that's what it was. Now, it wasn't until 50 years ago, 60 years ago, any time, listen, any time that businessmen 
can find a way to capitalize on anything they will. Halloween, Christmas, Valentine's Day, right? St. Patty's Day, Mother. They, they capitalize on these days. They were a consumer-driven market, and we have to find special reasons for you to consume money you don't have. Okay, so that's what we've done. All right. And you know, you notice that Thanksgiving is really one day that it, it's amazing that Thanksgiving is like one day that hasn't gotten too corrupted. But Easter has with the bunny rabbit and all that stuff. Right. Passover has, you know, isn't it funny that, you know, but they have Mother's Day cards. Man, you got to get cards. Valentine's Day. You got to pay four times for roses. You know, Christmas, you got to go spend money you don't have, you know, Um but isn't it amazing that Thanksgiving is like the one holiday that, well, maybe it is corrupted. Football, football is on Thanksgiving. You know, maybe it has given, has gotten a little corrupted over time, you know, but that's what the secular world does because the secular world is money driven. It's the lust of money. And so it does those things. So Paul says this in Galatians 1. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read you part of it. He says, for you have heard, as verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism and how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned him. In other words, I went and sought the Lord. That's what, he, that's what happened, Paul. Paul went and spent time with Christ because you understand Jesus said this, by your traditions, you make a word of God of no effect. Let me explain this to you. In the law, you're to honor your mother and father. But Judaism taught that if your mother and father need something, but you have already, let's say, let's say you give your tithe, you give your offering, but you also give, let's say, um, $50 a month to a missionary group, or an offering. It's an offering. It's just an offering. And you give that. And your mother and father have a need. You're supposed to tell your parents, hey, what I would give you is already is already for God, therefore I can't give it to you. But the commandment actually says that money should go to your mother and father if they have a need. Now, this is really stunning for some people. Now, I, 20 years ago, probably 25 years ago, actually, my mother needed a new car, and I was supporting people all over the place. I had money scattered all over the place, and my sister's uh, and brothers, we were going to buy my mother cars. It cost me $75 a month. I didn't, this is way, this is the nineties. I didn't have a lot of money, but I honored my mother by taking that money and giving it to my mom, paid the car payment. We didn't have a new car. We didn't have a, we didn't have a new car payment or anything like that. We gave it to my mother. She needed a car. Four of us pitched in and bought her car. It was $300 a month, $75 each. We bought her a car. For five years, made that payment. Why? We honored our mother and our father. This is, and see, that's the word of God. Honor the mother and father. But in Judaism, it was just, how do I get the money? Tell your mother and father, hey, what I would have given you is a gift to God. Therefore, hey, you're on potluck. 
But that's not what Scripture says. Not your tithe. Remember, your offerings. Because your tithe belongs to the Lord. He's talking about the offerings. And, and so what happened was the Jews had, why? Why would the Jews do this? Why would they do this? Because they wanted more money in the treasury. That's why. Okay? And Jesus called that traditions. In other words, it wasn't in the law. They made it law. And this is what you have to understand. From Malachi to Matthew is when Judaism comes out and it's formulated. There's nothing in the law concerning Pharisees, Sadducees, lawyers. All that is not in the law. They weren't supposed to be there. It was supposed to be Levites. But even these, you know, they created, they created all their garb that they would walk around the people with. They weren't, by the way, the Bible says, leave your robes in the house because you're not supposed to wear them outside the house. And now you had the Pharisees wearing this thing all the time and wanted to be seen by men. Jesus rebukes all this. Jesus rebuking this. Now you got to ask, why is he rebuking this? Because all of this was what they learned in Babylon. And they have now cultivated into Jewish law and religion. It's called Judaism. Judaism is not biblical religion. Rosh Hashanah is not a biblical religion. And it is not the new year. It's not the Jewish. If you go to the Jewish new year, that came out of Babylon. And I'm going to read all this to you. So just hang on. You might not like this. I get it. But the Feast of Trumpets has an actual place, not Rosh Hashanah. Because it's the seventh month and that can't be a new year. They go, what's well, agricultural new year? Yeah, we're going to get into it. I'm going to read this to you uh, because I want to read it to you. I want you to hear what it says. But let me just go to... Um, the Judaism. Okay, now a lot of this comes out of Chris's video. I've done this study myself. You should really do it, but watch those videos and go find it for yourself. But Judaism had 252 laws. Um, I'm sorry, the law had 252 laws. Judaism had 613 laws. Over a hundred of those laws were written against women. They put women in bondage. They told that women were property. Women couldn't file for divorce. Women could, right? A woman who was allowed to, under the law, she didn't have to file for divorce under the law. If her husband was cheating on her, what was the penalty? Stoning. But they created a whole bunch of laws. Matter of fact, if you look in the book, uh, the Watch the Series Chosen, this is actually addressed. That if her husband dies and no one was there to witness it but her, she's illegitimate. If she has a kid, he's illegitimate because no one saw her husband die. That's not in the law, folks. That's in Judaism. Judaism was pagan and corrupt. They just put it in, okay? They just put it in the, 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 the shell of Judaism or the shell of the law, the shell of Israel. And, and called it, but Judaism, it's not mentioned. Judaism is not biblical. And this was the kind of thing. If your husband dies, no one sat there and accused a woman and said, well, we didn't actually see him die. He's dead. He's right there. He's dead. They had it that two people had to witness him die. That's not in the law. Okay, it's not in the Bible at all. Okay, and see, Jesus taught that we're not supposed to change one top one dot or tittle from the law. We're not supposed to change it. We're not supposed to do any of that. But see, this is where Christianity 
isn't against the law. Christianity is against Judaism. And by the way, pure Christianity is probably against a lot of the Christianity we have today. Okay? That's, that's a tough word. We happen to believe that it doesn't matter. God loves us. Well, how about discipling the nations and teach them all the things he told us? If we don't do that, are we following his commandments? I just don't want to get into that. All right. <laughs> I can get into that. All right. So <clears throat> Judaism, we have to understand this. That, And Chris does a great pointing out, and you have to know this, that Paul doesn't speak everything to every people group. In other words, he's got Jews, he's got Romans, and he's got Greeks that he's talking to. Okay? And you have to know the audience. This is called to contextual understanding. What is the context in which it is written? If you don't know that when you study a book, if you don't study the book and who the target group is and their history, you're going to get some of these things wrong. Let me give you an example of this. In Galatia, or in Philippians 4, Paul says to the Philippians, my God shall supply all your need. Why? Because not only once but twice did they communicate their love to Paul and made sure he was supplied. But he does not speak that promise to the church at Corinth. Why? Because the church at Corinth were not giving. And if you read, uh, read 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, 11, it is what Paul's addressing. Paul in chapter 8 is trying to get the Corinthians to be in the faith that was in the Philippian. He brags about the Philippian church. But, and he's telling them about their faith to give because the Corinthian church had not given. And Paul actually says, did I sin by not taking from you? And to be honest with you, Paul didn't sin, but he did hinder the Corinthian church by not doing that. And he actually talks about it because they're not moving. They're moving in the grace for all the other things except for giving and receiving. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, why? And what's interesting is that by the way, Philippians is like the last book I think Paul wrote. So what's interesting is that that promise is because they're giving, but Corinthian church isn't. So you have to understand who he's talking to. What was the thing? What was, what was he talking to? So when he's talking to Corinth, he's he. by the way, there's also pagan gods over each uh, uh, church in Asia Minor, which John writes about. Okay, now if you don't know, by the way, if you don't know each of those pagan gods, you don't understand what John is saying to the seven churches because he's actually, God is, Jesus is actually dressing each place differently. And you notice that those seven letters aren't the same. Those seven rebukes aren't the same. Why? Why are they not the same? Because Jesus is specific when dealing with different groups. And you have to understand this in the word of God. When Paul, remember, it's the, the letter to the church at Corinth, not the letter to Lewis. Not the letter to Lewis. When he's writing to the Galatians, you go, but Lou, Lou, is that, does that mean it applies us? Absolutely. We can learn from it. But it's not written to me, and there's contextual stuff in there that is not even going to apply to me. Like, we don't separate from people when we eat. <laughs> but, but in Judaism, they did, by the way. Right? And that's why Paul rebukes Peter. Because Peter began to separate himself from the Galatians when James came. That was Judaism. That's not the law. 
right? Because the law was even if a if a Gentile came to the faith in the in in the law, they were one. They were Israel. They they've been grafted into Israel. Even the four foreigner among you, you were supposed to be kind to, and eat with, even in some of the feasts. So it's really, really important to understand the difference between the scriptures and Judaism. And I don't want you to know Judaism. I want you to know the scriptures. All right. So you have to know these groups. So I'm only going to go a little bit longer on this. I want you to go to those things for that one. And I'm going to talk about Rosh Hashanah. Um, in the Greek culture, the women had authority over men and dominated them. And so you have to understand this. And Chris is going to go into all this. And I really just want to leave it up to him. This way you don't get mad at me. Um, so three cities had Greek goddesses. Goddesses. Okay. Corinth, Ephesus, and Crete. Okay. And these are the places where Paul addresses women in these things. I'm not going to go into, I'm going to save this for Chris to give you all the good stuff. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> and you have to remember where it says husbands over the woman, husband over the wife, uh, you know, it didn't say, listen, it didn't say, number one, it didn't say men over women. It said husband. By the way, I am under my wife. My body belongs to my wife. That's what scripture says. She has authority over my body. Well, that's going to really freak some people out. I'm not going to go through all this. I want to stop right there because I, I literally, I can make this so long and I'm not going to do a whole teaching on it. It's Chris's teaching. It's his lane. He has done such a great job. I've never had this issue. I've raised up more women than men. Um, <clears throat> now, some people go, <clears throat> look, at raising up women is an issue in and of itself. They think differently. But raising up men are an issue itself. Raising up people is an issue. <laughs> I tell people, well, you know, you know, raising up women has its problems. So does raising up men, by the way. I got to get back to drinking water, water, water. All right. Now I'm going to scoot up here because I'm going to read this off of this. I hope I can, I'm hoping that I can sit there and do some way that I can add this. But uh, on the first day of the seventh month, the Torah commands us to observe a holy day. We call Feast of Trumpets. I'm not going to say it in Hebrew. I'm going to blow it every time. It's actually called the Day of Shouting. Leviticus 23 23 through 25. Numbers 29, 1 through 6 deals with this day. Um, <clears throat> work is forbidden on this day. Okay, so it doesn't matter when this day falls. This is not a Sabbath day. It can fall on the Sabbath, but it's not, it doesn't mean it's the seventh day because it's 30-day calendar. So as they're going through the first month, second month, third month, fourth month, sixth month, at the end of the sixth month, that next day, the first day of the seventh month is the is the the, the day of shouting or trumpets, and that's a day of rest. It's one day of rest. You notice that Rosh Hashanah is two days. It's one day of rest. All right. One of the unique things about this day is that the Torah does not say what the purpose of this holy day is. It's very interesting. The Torah gives at least one reason for all other holy days and two reasons for some. Okay? And I don't want to read all that. But it, norm it does that. It'll tell you why this the Day of Atonement, all this stuff, okay? But in contrast to all these other ones, there is no clear purpose 
in this one. Nevertheless, the name of Yan Terua provides a clue as its purpose. Terua literally means to make a loud noise. This word can be described noise made by a trumpet, but it also describes a noise made by a large gathering of people shouting in unison. Numbers 10, 5 through 6, for example, and it shall come to pass. When the ram's horn makes a long blast, this is Joshua, when you hear the sound of the shofar, the entire nation will shout, and a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall in its place, and the people shall go up and uh, against it. In this verse, the word shout appears twice. Once is the verb form of Torah, and the second time is a noun form of Torah. Although this verse mentions the sound of the shofar ram's horn, the two instances of Torah do not refer to the shofar. In fact, in this verse, Torah refers to the shouting of the Israelites, which was followed by the fall of the walls of Jericho. While the Torah does not explicitly let us uh, let the purpose of this uh, feast of trumpets be known, its name may indicate that it's intended day of public prayer. The verb form of Torah often refers to the noise made by a gathering of faithful calling out to the Almighty God. And so he's going to give us some examples. Clap your hands, all your nations, shout to God uh, with, the sh with, the, with a singing voice, Psalm 47.2. Shout to God, all the earth, Psalm 66.1. Sing to God, our strength. Shout to God uh, of Jacob, Psalms 81.2. Shout to Yehovah, all the earth, Psalm 101. In Leviticus 23.24. Uh, this word is also referred to as Zakran Torah. I don't know how to spell it. Look at this. He's Hebrew. He's assuming that we know how to pronounce this. The word Zikran is sometimes translated memorial, but this Hebrew word also means mention, to mention, often in reference to speak in the name of Yehovah. For example, Exodus 3.15, Isaiah 12.4, Isaiah 26.13, Psalm 45.17, and Hebrews... Uh, Hebrews um, I don't know what that means. Okay. Uh, the day of Zikron, Tahura, the mentoring, uh, the mentioning shout may refer to a day of gathering a public prayer in which to cry. Now, he, now you got to know Nehemiah Gordon is. He's a, um, um, a textual uh, scholar. In other words, he looks at text. He goes through all this. He's, you know, he's, and he's not, he's not into Judaism, but he is into God. But he's not into Judaism, okay? And he studies this stuff because, you know, he had questions. But he studies ancient texts. He studies, you know, um, a lot of stuff. He, remember, he's not a Christian, so I have to kind of like, you know, uh, okay, he doesn't see Christ, I do. Now, he'll suddenly say, that, well, that's the Messiah. And he's not, his teaching isn't to tell you which way to believe. He literally is explaining the text. Okay, what is actually written in the text, not what man has made it to mean. So he's really trying to break that down, and you have to understand that. All right. Uh, today, very few people remember their biblical name. And instead, a widely known Rosh Hashanah, which literally means head of the year, and hence also New Year. The transformation of the day of shouting into Rosh Hashanah New Year's is a result of pagan Babylon influence upon the Jewish nation. It's really upset people. The first stage in the transformation was the adoption of Babylonian month names. In the Torah, the months are numbered first month, second month, third month, etc. Leviticus 23. Numbers 28. During their sojourn in Babylonia, our ancestors began to use the pagan Babylonian month names. In fact, readily admitted in the Talmud. The name, this is in the Talmud, not Talmud, 
The Talmud is rabbinical writings. It says the names of the months came up from, with them from Babylonia, Jerusalem, Talmud, Rosh Hashanah, one, uh, uh, one, verse 1, 2, 50, 60. I don't know how that's written in there. I haven't read it for myself. The pagan nature of the Babylonian month names is up, epitomized by the fourth month known as Tammuz. In the Babylonian religion, Tammuz was a god of grain whose annual death and resurrection brought fertility to the world. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet described the journey to Jerusalem in which he saw the Jewish women sitting in the temple weeping over Tammuz, Ezekiel 8.4. Let's see if that's in there, right? Now, you got to remember also, his the Jewish Bible, sometimes the verses are off one or two, so if it's not in verse 8.4, it could be 8.3 or 8.5, because that sometimes happens. Uh, we, we numbered ours different, a little differently than they eventually numbered theirs, so it happens, and so don't get upset. But this is why they're weeping, okay? 8.4, and behold, the glory of God of Israel was there like that, so it's not in that one. Uh... He's, uh, I'm reading all of it because it might not be, uh, oh, I'm sorry, 814. That would make a sense. Oh, listen, it's 814. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. Listen. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Do you, do you understand how corrupt it had gotten that they were actually praying at the court? Um, for pagan gods. You, you, you have to know this because you have to know Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. But he also came to, to correct it because Judaism was not biblical. See, I don't believe if you were biblical, you ever have to leave Israel. By, by, by the way, you have been grafted into, into, with Israel. Okay, now you can say whether you're grafted in Israel. Well, we're in the New Jerusalem. So that would make us grafted into a spiritual Israel. By the way, um, well, I don't want to get to that. But you're also grafted, obviously, you're joined to Christ. You're also grafted into Abraham. Everyone who's of faith is a, is a child of Abraham. Deal with it. God, God isn't, God isn't, people go, well, that's the law. We don't have to do that. Give a tithe. We don't have to do that. It's the law. You don't know who you belong to. You don't know who you belong to. You don't know what you're saying. And, and the church teaches, like, let me ask you something. Are you allowed to have other gods? Are you allowed to worship false gods as a Christian? Because that's in the law. Are we allowed to do that? No. Are we allowed to commit adultery? No. So stop picking and choosing. Which ones you like? Am I allowed to beat my wife now? No. I am not made righteous by any of those things. I'm made righteous by the blood of Jesus. But because I'm righteous, I want to walk this stuff out. Righteously. I want scripture. Paul said all scripture was given for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. What scriptures do you think he was talking about? Because he wasn't talking about what we call the New Testament. He was talking about the scriptures. Okay, just so you know. <sighs> the reason they were weeping over Tammuz is that in that, according to Babylonian mythology, Tammuz had been slain 
but had not been resurrected. In ancient Babylonia, the time for weeping of Tammuz was the early summer when the rain ceased throughout the Middle East and green vegetation is burnt by the unrelenting sun. To this day, the fourth month in the rabbinical calendar is known as the month of Tammuz, and it is still a time of weeping and mourning. Some of the Babylonian months' names found their way into the latter books of the Tanakh, but they always appear alongside the Torah month names, for example, in Esther 3.7 in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king. In other words, the first, first month was not describing uh, Nisan. The first month is what God named the first month. <laughs> this will be the first month for you. It bursts us off by giving the Torah name the first month, and then translate this month into the pagan equivalent, which the month is Nisan. By the time of Esther, all the Jews lived within the boundaries of the Persian Empire, and the Persians had adopted the Babylonian calendar for civil administration of their realm. At first, the Jews used the Babylonian month names alongside the Torah month names, but over time, the Torah month names fell into uh, disuse. As the Jewish people became more comfortable with the Babylonian month names, they became more susceptible to other Babylonian influences. This is similar to the way that American Jews observe Hanukkah as a Jewish version of Christmas. This influence began seemingly harmless custom of giving gifts on Hanukkah. Until the Jews arrived in America, this custom was unknown. And it is still a, rare, uh, a rarity in Israel where Hanukkah does not need to, uh, to compete with Christmas for the hearts and minds of the Jewish youth. Once Hanukkah looked at this relatively trivial aspect of Christmas, it became ripe for more significant influences. Today, many American Jews have established a custom of setting up a Hanukkah bush as a Jewish alternative to the Christmas tree. These Jews did not want to adopt Christmas outright, so they Judaized the Christmas tree and incorporated it into Hanukkah. This example shows how easy it is to be influenced by the practice of foreign religion especially when there is some similarity to begin with. The fact that Hanukkah often falls around, out around the same time as Christmas made it natural for American Jews to incorporate elements of Christmas into their observations of Hanukkah. Just as the Jews in America have been influenced by Christmas, the ancient rabbis were influenced by the pagan Babylonian religion. Although many Jews returned to Judah when the exile officially ended, the forebearers of the rabbis remained behind in Babylon, Babylonia, where rabbinical Judaism gradually took shape. Many of the earliest known rabbis, such as Hillel, uh, Hillel I, were born, I don't know, you know, Jewish, were born and educated in Babylonia. Indeed, Babylonia remained the heartland of rabbinical Judaism until the fall of Gaonate in the 11th century CE. The Babylonian Talmud abounds with influences, now Talmud again, rabbinical writings, influence of Babylonian paganism. Indeed, pagan deities even appear in the Talmud recycled as Jewish angels and demons. I didn't know that one, did you? One field of Babylonian religious influence was in the observance of Rosh Hashanah, or Day of Shouting, as a New Year celebration. From very early times, the Babylonians had a lunar solar calendar very similar to the biblical calendar. The result was that Yan Teruah, day of shouting, often fell out on the same day as Babylonia's New Year festival, uh, Akitu. The Babylonian Akitu fell out on the first day of 
Cheshire, which coincided with day of shouting and the first day of the seventh month. When the Jews started calling the seventh month by the Babylonian name, it paved the way for turning, turning the day of shouting into a Jewish Akitu. At the same time, the rabbis did not want to adopt Akitu outright, so they Judaized it by changing its name to from the day of shouting to Rosh Hashanah, New Year's. The fact that the Torah did not give a reason for Yon, Yon Teruah no doubt made it easier for the rabbis to do this. Okay. The problem with this New Year celebration, it would be like us Americans celebrating New Year the 1st of July, the beginning of the seventh month. It'd make no sense, would it? I often, I had this problem, shoot, now, it's been, I'm going to tell you, the, tell you this. It was 2004. I was at the House of Prayer in Kansas City. I just went there for 36 hours. Literally would go there just to pray. I would sit in there, pray, study. And the Lord downloaded this to me and told me this. I'm not kidding you. Where he said, that's not, that's not my holiday. That's how I learned it. I don't have all the history that he has here. He studies all this stuff. So I'm going to link this to you, okay? Because um, um, he goes really in-depth in this, Nehemiah does. I'm going to try to link it. Um, it'll, I'll see what I can do. If I can print it up or something, maybe I can. Maybe I can print it up as a PDF. And we can do something like that would be really, really, really great. Let me see if I can right here. I might have all the... Um, Uh, let's see if we can. Let's see if we can do this. Um, I tried this last time and it didn't actually let me do it. It was kind of annoying. So I'm going to try to do it and see if we can make this happen. Um, but I want you to know that. Why? Well, how many times do you hear Christians just all fired up about Rosh Hashanah? I mean, how many times? They even call it by the name. They don't. Many Christians, listen, in attempt to being Jewish, or they think they're being biblical because they want to capture some of the Jewishness, which I am all for, by the way, capturing the Jewishness of the Gospels and what Jesus said. I'm all for that. But they don't refer to the scriptures. They refer to Jewish traditions. And they don't even know what they are saying. And my, look, I had these talks with Randy, who was Messianic Jew, and I challenged him on this stuff. Number one, it wasn't a two-day celebration. Number two, it's not the new year. I mean, I, I didn't need revelation to know it wasn't the new year. Why? Um, you know, in the beginning, I thought Rosh Hashanah was the Jewish name of the day of Trump, the Feast of Trump. I thought that was a Jewish name. I didn't know any better. You know, I just didn't know. But... And, and so I assumed, you know, certainly the people here know what they're doing. I mean, you know, I might not know, but they know, right? They know what they're doing, even though I don't have a clue. I'm going to have to believe that, you know, these guys are smarter than me. And I, and I, and I, I got to readily tell you, I kind of fell to that trap. And I don't mind thinking people are smarter than me, but I realized that you better search things out for yourself. This was 18 years ago. And I remember it because it was right around August. I remember sitting there with the Lord, having these downloads in that place and just sitting there soaking. And 
and the Lord's speaking to me, this, this, isn't, this isn't accurate. I go, why? Why isn't this not accurate? And I found out why. Amen? Amen. I Look, I just want you to, you know, to know the truth. I want you to do that for your study, even though you're watching my podcast or you're listening to my podcast. I really want you to go ahead and take the time to go ahead and remember Chris Fallon, July 20, July 6th and 20th, 2014, or his book, Fashion to Rain. So, okay. Chris goes into explaining this very well. And you have to watch the first one before you watch the second one because he, he explains a lot in the first one and he doesn't repeat it in the second one. And then I'm going to try to get Nehemiah Gordon's um, um, let's see if I can do it. I haven't been able to do it. I've tried printing it, all these different things. I haven't been able to do it. Um, and I don't know why that is, but um, I'll try to at least get the link to this page on there for you that um, maybe you can um, um, at least see that content of what it is because it's really important that you know that. What, do I, what, what is the purpose of this? Because there's truth hidden in the day of shouting that we miss when it's perverted. We just miss it. And I don't want you to miss it. Randy always taught me, pay attention, listen to God on the feast for the nation. Like God's going to speak to the nation on those days. <clears throat> it's just really important. Amen? I, I know that gets me in trouble. But remember, I have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Therefore, any lie hinders me from that and I can't afford that with him and I don't want to do that to you either God bless you and you have a great day bye bye